You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, I'd like to begin this morning on a little bit of a personal note. Um, Two weeks from tomorrow, I will begin a three-month sabbatical. And I just wanted to say thank you uh, to you. Thank you for uh, uh, the last eight years, almost eight years of ministry here. It's just been a wonderful gift uh, to me. It's the greatest privilege of my life to be uh, in ministry with you and to be named your pastor. And I also want to say thank you for giving me a little bit of time away to rest and uh, refresh. Some of you have asked me what we're going to be doing, and so I thought I'd just give you a quick itinerary. Some of the plans are still taking shape, but we're going to begin with a trip to Ethiopia. Uh, We're going to visit your work in Ethiopia through the SCOPE project. This is a three-way partnership between the University of Washington, uh, the uh, the UPC, and the the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. It's an amazing project, HIV, AIDS, education, and prevention. And uh, we want to see what they're doing there and see what you're doing there. Then uh, we'll come back, and uh, Anne has talked me into taking a trip to Hawaii. So we're going to have a one-week vacation in Hawaii, and she's talking about it like a second honeymoon, which I think is amazing after 26 years of marriage. I'm not sure if I got the first one wrong. I need a redo. <clears throat> yeah, but I think it's really cool. She still wants the honeymoon with, with me, and I certainly do with her. So we'll have that uh, special week. I'll be back then a week in Idaho uh, with uh, the trout and also my parents. Um, <laughs> Uh, Two weeks in uh, British Columbia, Vancouver. I'm going to take two classes at uh, Regent College, one in the parables and another in cultural discipleship in a secular age. And then I'll um, start to give attention to next year. You know, every year I have uh, about four weeks of prep and planning, so I'm going to just build that into the sabbatical, go down to the Monterey area. And we're hoping that uh, we can all gather as a family at the end of the summer for a bike trip or a camping trip or something like that. By the way, the trip to Ethiopia, um, all three of our kids who are young adults now are going to be a part of that. It's very special for us to be able to be in ministry together with them. So I want to say thank you to you, but my only disappointment about the whole thing is as I have watched uh, the leaders develop plans for the summer, I'm just bummed I'm going to miss what's going on here. Really uh, amazing things are planned for this summer. Uh, In my absence, preachers from around the world have been invited to preach, and a number of global leaders uh, uh, will be coming, presidents of, of World Vision and Holy Land Trust. At Fuller Seminary will be here. And then a number of members of our own preaching team. Uh, it'll be a blessing, I know, as God speaks to you uh, through them. And of course, there's a, uh, a lot that's going on this summer, small groups and picnics and sharing hope in Jesus Christ through service projects. And I would love to be involved with all of it. So I look forward to hearing what you're up to uh, when I come back. Uh, for me, th- this, is the, this is the important thing. To me, this is about getting our call right. Uh, the, the sabbatical is an opportunity for me to reconnect with my call. Not just my call to professionally to be a senior pastor. More important, much more important than that is for my call uh, as a follower of Jesus, as a beloved child of God, to reconnect with that call, the call to be just George, to be me as someone who lives his life in the hands of a loving God. I also want to suggest that, uh, that my sabbatical can be an opportunity for you as well. I think it's very healthy for a church when they have the means to be able to send a uh, pastor away on sabbatical. Because the truth is, unfortunately, uh, oftentimes a church begins to organize itself around the ministry and persona of one individual, of a pastor. 
And uh, it's a strong language, but truthfully, that's creeping idolatry. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a church, we're called to organize our ministry and life around the persona of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the living center of our congregation. And so when the pastor leaves for a season, it gives the church an opportunity to make a decision about who really runs this place. You, you know, I mean, there's a tendency sometimes to say, oh, well, I'll go if the timing works out, or I'll go if the program meets my need, or I'll go if so-and-so is preaching. Well, we have to be really careful about thinking that way, right? Because we are the body of Christ. We are the church, all of us together. And we have a church only as each individual member uses their gift in ministry with one another. We'll learn more about that uh, next week. But I really want to encourage you. There'd be temptation for some to check out, but it's it's better to make the decision to step up. And if you do, what you're going to see is that God can use you. He can use you. And that's the greatest of all discoveries. So I'm excited about this uh, for your sake as well as for mine. In our text, as, as Ken read, we saw that Paul is reflecting on his call. And that reflection draws him back, not to a task, but to a person. Let's open up to Ephesians 3 again now. And uh, let's look at, at, at this text. Before we read it, I just want to give you a little bit of an introduction. This is the first place in this epistle that the apostle is autobiographical, that he shares uh, his call uh, with his readers. It's very personal, and I like that about this. Notice in verse 1, he says, he tells us he's in prison. This is a prison, one of the prison epistles. He tells us here he's in prison. Uh, and in verse 14, he has a prayer. We'll read the prayer in a moment. But I think Paul means to start the chapter with the prayer. But I think he has a digression. These two paragraphs that follow uh, verse 1, I think are all unintended. It's a digression. Uh, you can see that, by the way, if you look carefully. The verse 1 in Greek has no main verb. The, the word am there is supplied by the translator. He really just says, this is the reason that I, who, who, are, who am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And then he goes, by the way. Uh, let me tell you why I'm a prisoner. And they get the long digression. And then he doesn't come back until verse 14. The second way you can see that that, that was a, a digression is by noticing he uses the exact same language for this reason. Now, the translators vary it a little bit, but in the Greek, it's the same. He starts verse 1 saying, this is the reason. And then for verse 14, he kind of gets back to the train of thought. And he goes, this is the reason. And now we get to the prayer. So I think he wants to get to the prayer. Uh, but when he mentions that he's a prisoner, then he's concerned that his readers would lose heart. As he says in verse 13, right after he gets back to the prison prayer, he says, don't, I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to lose heart. And as soon as he says, I'm a prisoner, he's, they might think, oh, gosh, um, hard times and start to feel pity for the Apostle Paul. He doesn't want any of that. Uh, and there's a message for us, for you and me in this, uh, because oftentimes our lives include a great digression. Oftentimes, our lives are, are, are a digression. They feel that way, right? We start off going, man, I just get great expectations for my life, my career, for my family life, you know, for my health and vigor, the things I want to do, the places I want to go, the person I want to be. And then at one point in our life, we look and think, we go, this isn't the program. How did I get here? How did I ever get here? You know, this isn't the family life that I expected. This isn't the career life that I expected. How to get into this relationship in the first place? How to get out of that other relationship? And, and we, we realize this feels very much like a digression. But here's what the Apostle Paul says. In essence, this is my call. What feels like a direct digression is actually my call. And so I, I want to reflect with you about the fact that you and I truly are, are called. 
Think about the Apostle Paul in prison. Here's the guy whose mission, as he might have thought it, was to put Christians in prison. But now he's a Christian in prison. You feel the irony of that? Like, how did I ever get here? And he goes, well, I know how I got here. It's because Jesus is calling me. And I love that. So don't, don't lose heart because he's still calling. If you look carefully, you'll see in the next chapter, he's going to transition to talk about the character of our calling. Verse 1 is, is one of those walk verses. Where in our translation, it says live, but it really is walk. He says, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he's saying you're, you're called too. He'll talk more about the character of the calling in chapter 4 following. But here at the end of chapter 3, as he gets to this prayer, he wants to talk about the resources of calling. So I want to focus with you today really on two things, on the resources of calling and then the renewal that comes when we can reconnect with our calling. All right, let's uh, look at this text together, Ephesians chapter 3. We'll read verses 14 through 21 uh, corporately. If you're able, would you please stand with me? And uh, we're, at, we're on page 950, I believe. We'll read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. He's talking about call, the resources of a call. It's not a call to be a carpenter or a realtor. It's called to be a follower of Jesus. This is his primary call, and it's our primary call as well. And it's a call that no matter how far off the path we feel we have digressed, uh, calls us to Jesus, to walk with Jesus right where we are. This calling comes with three resources uh, to respond to it, power, purpose, and pleasure. Power, purpose, and pleasure. Now, these are very different from the resources we typically bring to our lives. And so I want to talk about each of these three in terms of a habit that our sense of call can break I want to first talk about the worry habit. Jesus can break the worry habit. The Apostle Paul says in verse 16, I pray that you may be strengthened in your inner being. Maybe you've heard the phrase anticipatory grief. I find that really interesting. I know it's meaningful, but I laugh at it a little bit. Anticipatory grief is being sad over something that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> We're already sad. It hasn't happened yet. I think uh, worry is uh, anticipatory failure. We haven't even tried yet, but we already anticipate our failure. So we're worrying about it. When we worry, uh, it's really a failure of imagination. 
We set up an unfair fight in our minds, our weakest version of ourselves versus the most devastating version of the future. And we have them go at it and we go, oh, it's going to be horrible. I'm just so worried about this, you know? I mean, will someone here please tell me why I think I'll perform better if I worry more? Uh, but it just takes more anxiety. It just makes more energy, right? It's, it dissipates my resources. Paul says, I, I pray for inner strength so that even as you imagine the future, you'll know you've got what it takes. Now, Paul's in prison, but he's not worried because Paul's prayed this prayer for himself and he knows the Holy Spirit will supply him again and again and again with a kind of inner strength that allows him to make it, to, to be able to overcome the challenges of the future. Here's a Paul, but he knows, someone who has a call is somebody who, who doesn't live from the outside in, but from, from the inside out, who brings a strength to the most challenging kinds of circumstances. I think it's interesting here in verse 1 that he says, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus has put him in jail, but he's just made a decision that there's a power in his life that's greater than the power of Rome where, he, where he's in prison. And it's not the jailer that holds him there, and it's not the bars that hold him there. He's being held there by the call of one who is more powerful than all of that. And this same power through the Holy Spirit can give us what we need to face all of life's challenges. This is the resource, power. Those who live with a call will let Jesus hold on to our future. It's, you know, when we pray, we don't always get the future that we want, but what we will always get is the strength to face that future. Uh, Tim Snow, our executive pastor, the other day reminded the staff, we were talking about staff cuts, and he, he reminded them. He said, I, I just remember what Steve Hainer used to say around here when he would say, you know, why pray when you can worry, right? <laughs> Martin Luther said, pray and delegate the anxiety to God. Let God worry. You pray. That's what he's given us. Sometimes we say, don't tell God how big the storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is. The Apostle Paul uh, understands that, and he's praying for his readers, this resource. Jesus didn't only break the worry habit, but those who know themselves to be called by Jesus find him breaking the control habit. This is the second, the control habit. We find him praying, Paul, in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Control is the impulse to change what we cannot change. It's the impulse to be the Christ. By the way, Christ means Messiah, <laughs> the one who comes to fix everything. And uh, we think that's our role. And Paul's pretty sure it's not. And there's great freedom uh, when we can let God uh, be the Messiah and not have to be ourselves. The other day, I was uh, in California. I'd, I'd flown down there. Actually, Ken and I were down there together. Um, his bags arrived. I had checked a bag. It didn't arrive. So I'm up late at night talking to some airline representative. And I know the bag can't get there until the next day. But I want. I would not hang up the phone because I want to force the representative to hang up on me just to prove to that person how bad their customer service was. <laughs> she, and to her credit, she wouldn't hang up on me. So I just said, there's this deadline. I was so angry. Why? Because there was nothing I could do there was nothing she could do. We just had to wait. It was still in San Francisco. We just had to wait for the bag to come down. And, uh, and yet here I am feeling flooded because I'm trying to control what I really can't change. There's great freedom in not changing, not trying to change, not having to change what we cannot change. 
Paul here in the digression tells the story that he tells because he wants to make the point that God is very much in control of what seems to be out of control. What could be more out of control than being in prison? And so he realizes, oh, my readers are going to lose heart. But he's, let me tell you the digression. Let me tell you what's happening here. By the way, I got asked a really good question a few weeks ago. Someone said, why is Paul in jail? Which I thought's really good. I, even my wife didn't really exactly know why Paul's in jail. So I got one on her, finally. Uh, here's a, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't break a law. If you go back to Acts, I think it's 27, we see that Paul's in jail because he's been telling people that the Messiah has not only come for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles. And they did not like that message in Jerusalem, so they locked him up and they shipped him out. That's why he's in prison. So he goes, hey, this is just my call. So let me tell you what's happening. I've got an all-expense-paid trip to Gentile Central. <laughs> I'm in prison in Rome. He goes, and, and, and the more they mistreat me, the more the word gets out that the Messiah has come for the Gentiles, for the nations. We talked about that last week. It's such a beautiful thing. He goes, so, you know, in the mystery of God, he takes what seems like a bad set of circumstances and turns them into more wonderful circumstances that I could imagine. It just proves that the Messiah is the Messiah, and I don't have to be the Messiah. He's in control. But notice also here that it's an invitation to let Christ dwell in our hearts. It's not enough to have a Messiah who's in charge in the world. We also have to know there's a Messiah who's in charge in our hearts. Because this is where the impulse to control takes over. Victor Frankl, who is, as you know, the Holocaust survivor, wrote, Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. And when we have a Messiah, he supplies the why. So we're really called to live above our circumstances. And we have a resource for this, and that's it's God has a purpose. In every set of circumstances, he has a purpose. He can work out good. Those who live with a call let Jesus hold their circumstances, not just the future, but their present circumstances. And he invites us to live above those circumstances through faith, which really means trust. Frederick Buechner once wrote, stop trying to protect, to rescue, to judge, to manage the lives around you, your family, your friends, because this is just where you're, what you're powerless to do. Remember that the lives of other people are not your business. They're their business. They're God's business. Leave it to God. This is an astonishing thought, but it can be a life-transforming thought. So those who live with a call find Jesus will be breaking the worry habit. He'll be breaking the control habit. Finally, he'll be breaking what I call the performance habit. He gives us resources of power and purpose. And finally, pleasure. Notice what he says. Verse 19. I pray, Paul says, that you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. His syntax fails him at this point. I pray that you'll know what cannot be known. I pray that the dimensions of God's love, which exceed comprehension, would somehow be the dimensions of the life in which you live as he calls you into deeper relationship. Performance is this un, usually unconsidered belief that if I do X, I will be accepted. I will be worthy. I will be loved. And what, what is X? It's, I, I don't know. It's dressing a certain way. It's having certain health or beauty. It's having a certain job or economic, driving a certain car. I don't know what it is. Paul knows none of that is necessary to be loved. I know a calling from one who loves me even when I am not worthy. I know the love of God. 
Our call begins with baptism. Jesus' call begins with baptism. It's the very beginning of his ministry. And what does the Father say to the Son in his baptism? You are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. That's the beginning of our call. Comes at our baptism as well. Jesus is baptized not because he needs to be cleansed of sin, but he knows we need to be cleansed of our sin and he identifies with us. And so what the Father says to him is what the Father says to you, not at the end of your Christian life, but at the very beginning. I'm pleased with you. I delight in you. You are my pleasure. Boy, when we can connect to that, it is transformational. This resource of God's pleasure in our lives gives us great pleasure. Those who live with a call, let Jesus hold them in his love. This is the hardest and the most important of the three resources to receive. Charles Simeon, who knew much pain, said, Infinite wisdom has arranged the whole with infinite love, and infinite power enables me to rest upon that love. Calling will break these habits. But it also comes with an invitation to renewal, to practice Sabbath. And you know, I found this week I was really tired. Actually, it was very hard to write uh, the sermon. And I, I, I realized it was because Anne was showing me pictures of Hawaii, the hotel we're going to. And I thought, <laughs> I have this work to do and I have this rest that's right in front of me. And the juxtaposition was kind of killing me. And I, this is the illustration. I explained it to her. It's like, have you guys ever been on a road trip? It's a really long drive and you start to have to really go to the bathroom and you, you, you look at your triptych and it tells you it's another 30 or 40 miles to the next gas station. You go, oh my no. There's no way I can make it that long. But you do, and you, you know, eventually you kind of just think of other things and you feel fine, right? You're like, it just kind of, the urge goes away. I'm sorry for this at church, but it, <laughs> this, is, this is my experience this week. And then so, but then when you see the rest, when you see the gas station, what happens? Is you start to pull in, you go, oh my gosh, I gotta go like I never had to go just because you're so close to it, right? And so this is what it was for me. I, I realized, I didn't realize how tired I was until I got close to my sabbatical. Now all of a sudden I'm feeling like exhausted, but two weeks too early, you know? I can't even get my work done. Uh, <clears throat> So it was a little like a red light. It was diagnostic for me that maybe, maybe I shouldn't be waiting seven years to get rest. Maybe, maybe I should build sabbatical practices into my weekly schedule. And I, and I want to invite you to do the same. Right? Remember Sabbath? It means stop. It means cease. And God models this in creation. On the seventh day, God rests. Now, does God need any rest? Not if the Greek philosophers are correct. Not if the Old, the, the, the Old Testament is correct. No. But he's modeling for you and for me. And he knows we will need rest and we will need to be restored in order to be recentered on our call. That's what Sabbath is all about. It's not just about physical rejuvenation. It's about reconnecting with that foundational call, reclaiming the resources of one who's been called by Jesus. Don't let it build up. If Jesus had to do it, so do we. He was constantly retiring to a lonely place. And we need to build those practices into our lives as well for renewal. God will renew us as a church. We have a great history. Sometimes in our busyness or our anxiety or in the changing culture around us, uh, we keep thinking we have to do it all. And what we, we don't. I mean, the testimony of these walls, if they could speak, is just you're called by Jesus. If you could just return to him in all of his fullness and know his love, you would be the most confident people in the city of Seattle and so excited about the future, right? So we need Sabbath practices corporately and individually. We have a tendency for our work to become our call. We start, then it, we start performing to our task. 
But I'll tell you, work without a sense of call is a prison. But if you have a call, it will give you freedom, even if you find yourself spending time in a prison. We'll be performing to the task, trying to control, worrying. But if our primary call is simply to be with Jesus and to receive all that Jesus wants to give us, then our secondary calls get resourced in a wholly different way. There's two quick examples of that. I mean, Wayne Kenny is actually, he didn't tell you this story. If I had been interviewing you, Wayne, I would have made you tell this story, but you're too modest to tell it. When Wayne went through some medical treatment several years ago, uh, he would bring what he called a loaf of blessing to the staff that are treating him, right? I mean, because Wayne has a sense that his calling isn't just to survive medical conditions, but to actually bless people, to share that love that you heard about earlier. So he's bringing his primary calling, an experience of love in Jesus, into the lives Uh, of people around him as he engages all of his secondary callings. Another example is another one of you I met with last week told me a little bit about your long digression. It was a work story and a hard one at that, but now you've gotten to a place where even though companies now hire you on a contract basis to be sort of a CFO and work with the numbers, you know you can do that, but what you bring in addition to the numbers is a desire to mentor people. They hire me for this, but I know God has me there to mentor people, to help them mature. See, that's what happens when you have your primary call rooted in Jesus, and you bring it into all of your secondary calls. I want to close with a story about a man named Joseph. Uh, actually, I heard about this. One of you sent me an article from the Washington Post, and it really, it really touched me. This was a man who had lived uh, numerous digressions. He had served four t- tours of duty in Afghanistan, and he was exhausted, not just the kind of physical exhaustion that many of us know, but a kind of deep-to-the-bone, soulish exhaustion that we tend to call PTSD. And he had trouble uh, managing that, tried to mask it, unfortunately, with alcohol, and this led him to DUI, and he found himself under the watchful eye of a judge who sat with him 25 times, uh, trying to help him get his feet back on the ground. Uh, kept calling him into the courthouse to convince him he could get through this. Uh, but he struggled, and actually he violated the terms of his parole one day, and so he was back there before the judge, a man named Lou Oliveira, and the judge had to sentence him to jail. And so he brought down the gavel and sent him to 24 hours in prison, and then he came out behind the bench and drove the defendant himself to the next county. And this young man, Joseph, said, where are we going? He said, we're going to turn our cells in. And when Joseph got in that cell, he heard the door clang behind him. Then he heard it open again and clang behind him again. It's a true story. And the judge walked in and served that term with him, laid down on the floor. It was a one-person cell and just listen to his stories of Afghanistan. Turns out the judge was himself an Iraq War veteran, and uh, so he understood all about what this young man was going through. He says, I'm not going to leave your side because I love you. And I just want you to think, wouldn't you want to know a judge like that? I mean, ordinarily, we don't want to know a judge, (laughs) right? (laughs) This is a judge. This young man wants to know. He's saying, wow, whatever you're about, sign me up. I want more relationship with you. I want to join your cause. This is what it's like to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus is the face of God who's taken the great digression to come and serve the sentence on our behalf and to live our lives together with us. He's the one who says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this call. It's not a call to go and get busy and do great things for you. It's a call just to sit and to rest and be refreshed, for you have done great things for us. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.